Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith. I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up, where we hit on all of BFW's latest and greatest news pertaining to Bayern Munich and Germany. And the reason I'm chuckling a little bit is because I just dropped about 10 F-bombs when I messed up the intro the first time. So I'm still cracking myself up over here. Uh, I probably should play that outtake because it was pretty funny. Uh, typically, this happens every once in a while where... I'll uh, mush mouth a little bit, mess up the intro, drop several F-bombs and laugh at myself because what else can you do in this situation? Uh, But I am here, like I said, to talk about Bayern Munich, the German national team, all of it. And Bayern Munich is nearing the transfer window deadline. They need some help. Conrad Leimer went down. Dio Upamakano went down. We are waiting to hear at the time of this recording if Joshua Kimmich has went down. They're all at least Limer and Upa Meccano are going to miss some time. Bayern Munich did pick up a win against Union Berlin, but man, there are some things in motion with this team and something might need to be done because they really might need some help. If you get a chance, check out my thoughts about the Union Berlin game uh, during the post game show, which I recorded. I also did a preview show for FC Augsburg. So check that out as well. That is already dropped. Yeah, you're getting a heavy dose of me. Uh, It's not uh, Chuck Podcast Works, but it's starting to feel like that at times. (laughs) But, uh, you know, the staff is very, very busy. A lot is going on. So if you like me, this is probably good. If you don't, you're probably dropping some F-bombs yourself. So sorry about that. But either way, let's get down to it because there is a lot to talk about. And I'm not going to dive into the game since I did those shows already, but What I will say is when you look at the state of the team as it stands right now, and you look at how things are progressing under Thomas Tuchel, there is definitely something going on. And one of the latest reports we saw drop actually on Thursday morning was that there is a disconnect between Tuchel and his, some of his bosses. Now it did say that, that Tuchel does get along with, uh, Christoph Freund, who is the sporting director at the moment, or at least that's what his title appears to be. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second, but um, Tuchel is definitely a person that can be abrasive. He can easily uh, break relationships. And I, I think that's just his personality and it takes a special type of person to deal with him. But uh, Sky journalist, Kerry Howe and Torben Hoffman put out the report uh, and, and basically said that some of Bayern's bosses do not have a close relationship with Muller, with Thomas Tuchel, which is absolutely needed at the club. A club that's so focused on family and identity, uh, it's a little disconcerting to know that there's this perception that Tuchel is not fully aligned with some of his bosses, not fully communicative with them, especially when Tuchel himself has such a you know a big say in how this roster is being formed uh the good part is he's at least aligned with Christoph Freund but Freund's own future could be in doubt and the reason I say that is Max Eberl is joining the club and he is rumored to be bringing in a crew of his own boys (laughs) so who knows what this does with Christoph Freund does he stay in his current role does he morph into more of what the technical director role was for Marco Nepp who not shockingly, is now leaving the club. There is a lot of movement in the club's hierarchy, and that is not always a good thing. And I think when you have all of this going on, you have Herbert Heiner, you have uh, Jan Christian Driesen as the CEO, you've got these high-level executives who who all have a say in everything. You have Uli Honus and Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, who 
for all intents and purposes, are not really club employees at this point, but still have a huge say. There's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. And with Tuchel having so much of a voice in transfer and personnel and, and roster planning, you can see how this could all become a major mess. And now with Ebrel coming in and bringing in some of his own party to to help lead this club forward, there is definitely going to be some kind of shakeup and some kind of fallout. None of this ever ends fully well for everyone. Now, going back to Tuchel, it's interesting because one of the other parts of the report from Hal and Torben Hoffman was that uh, Tuchel is not does not have the best relationship with all of his players and that some players want to see him be more communicative and talk more to them and probably explain more about his decisions. Uh, maybe Tuchel feels like he doesn't have to do that. Maybe that's why there is a bit of a divide there. But the important thing is the majority of the players, at least the majority of the squad as it pertains to this report, they are still convinced of Tuchel as a coach and his ideas for the team. Now, remember, it says majority. <laughs> so, so that does tell you that there are some players, and they could be very important players, who are not happy with Tuchel. So where does all this lead? What does it all mean? So we talked about the front office hierarchy and the executives there is going to be some kind of further shakeup than just Marco Nepp leaving. And I'm not saying that people are going to leave or they're going to quit, but there's going to be this huge influx of power now that Eberl is going to come in with the full backing of Uli Honus, who, again, the puppet master is pulling his strings. And with Eberl coming in and having this much authority, which it looks like he's going to have, I think that this is going to create some kind of tug of war, which is going to make building this team and having any type of uniform vision for the roster extremely difficult moving forward. When you already have a, a, a roster that might not be fully behind the coach, it does appear that, that this could be a situation that could fester and, and turn into a powder keg of sorts. So I, I'm not someone that's going to sit here and worry too much about the future yet. But when I look at where the team is now and I see what's coming down the pike, I do worry that there is a great amount of instability. And I think that Tuchel himself, we've seen recent reports say that, that, that because of all of this and how things have going, like Bayern Munich is, is not inclined to, to fire him this season, but anything past this season, who knows anything is possible. And, and with that, I think you have a lot of uncertainty. You have uncertainty because you have Tuchel really pointing the direction where he wants this roster to go and the club reacting to it, bringing in players that he wants, alienating players that he doesn't. What if Tuchel hits a slide? What if he, they determine that he's not the right guy moving forward? You're doing irreparable damage to the relationships you have with some players right now all for a coach that you don't know that you want to even keep after this season. And again, we're going off the reports. Maybe Byron's fully bought in to, to Tuchel, seeing out the remainder of his contract. Who knows? But what I do know is this is a big gamble. It's a big risk. You have very important players in the locker room right now who Tuchel he just doesn't like, and he's not going to use them probably in ways that they should be used. And I, this has become a very controversial topic, right? We we have seen a lot of debates on the site this week about Tuchel, where he stands, the performance of the team, and no one can deny the results that they have. I mean, this team is, they're not playing exceptionally well, but they're getting exceptional results. With the, with, 
the exception of a few games where they had very unfortunate performances, Tuchel has generally pushed them to be a good team. They, he has pushed them to be a team that is capable of being a top five or six club in the world. But what they are not right now is, is a team that's going to be able to knock off Real Madrid or Man City, at least in my estimation. And they might not be a team that can catch Bayer Leverkusen in the Bundesliga. So Tuchel has them to a good point, but it's not where they should be in my estimation. When you go out and you invest in Harry Kane, you invest in him to be a striker. You invest in him to score goals. You don't invest in him to drop back and facilitate. And I think that's all part of this. Like you have this great score. You're not maximizing what he can do. You're not surrounding him with the best possible formation of players and, and lineup of players to get the best out of him. So Tuchel, in my mind, is doing a lot of things his way. He's doing things the way he sees fit. And maybe that is not what's best for this team or going to produce the best results. So I'm a little bit worried about that whole situation, what Tuchel's ideas are, and what things could be if he was a little bit more flexible with his personnel. And if he was, quite frankly, a little bit stronger in dealing with certain players rather than always hammering down on others. And when I say that, it seems as though he has he is no problem putting Leon Goretzka in his place. He has no problem benching Alfonso Davies. But when it comes to Leroy Sané, who quite frankly has not been great now since, I don't know, late November, uh, he's reluctant to take him out. Harry Kane has not been great for a while. Now, it's a little bit more difficult to bench Kane because you really don't have a, a solid backup for him. And I'm not saying that you should, but I, I think that one of the reasons why Kane is scuffling a little bit and not maybe not as productive the last couple of weeks as, as fans would like is because you're not surrounding him with the right players. And and for Kane, it's it's a little bit of absurd of an argument, right? Because he's been really good. He's been very productive when he's getting service. But right now, you're coming off a game against Union Berlin where your two starting wingers went over 18 combined on crosses. That's unacceptable on every level. And it, it, we have seen Sané go through these spurts. We have seen Coman be completely dysfunctional in the final third. It, it's... It's a point where Tuchel's going to have to start realizing that he can do different things. He can play Jamal Musial as a wing. He can integrate Matisse Tell. He can use Thomas Muller, who quite frankly was better than Coman the last two opportunities he had to play at wing. So I don't know what Tuchel's going to do. I don't know exactly what this team can be. I think they can be great, but I don't know it because I haven't seen it that much yet. I know they're very good. I know that they're capable of taking down teams where they have a superior talent advantage. But what can they do when they have to go up against a real heavyweight, when they have to face a team that's not only as good as them, but is deeper and maybe faster? How do they react to that? That's what I'm eager to see. And that's why I keep, over the course of time, pinpointing to matchups against Real Madrid and Man City. And you could probably throw Liverpool in the mix too, because I think Bayern is taking steps back while some of these other clubs are continuing to push forward. And I know they all have their own problems. They all have their own issues. But Bayern Munich is the team we're concerned about, right? That's why we're all here. And while we're seeing good results in the standings, we're not seeing this level of play where they should be at. And I do think that part of it is due to, to Tuchel refusing to do what is best for this team. And at this point, I do think it's a refusal. And when we talk about Tuchel, we talk about 
is he in or out, right? We have a strong Tuchel out contingent on the site. And I have to be honest. And like, I have been on the fence with him. I didn't like the hire at the time. I've been on the fence because I'm fair. I'd like to pride myself on being fair, despite what my natural inclination might be about someone. I didn't think this would work last year. I was actually shocked that they were able to pull out the Bundesliga because things did not look good. And quite frankly, I felt like Tuchel got bailed out there. But I want to be fair about it. I want to give him the full season. What I don't like about Tuchel is he has way too much say in personnel. I want the coach to have say, but I feel like he just wants and wants and wants, and he wants new. And every time he wants something new, it's going to take longer to integrate. It's going to take longer for this all to come together. And we don't know, quite frankly, if he's going to be here to see it out. So I don't see the point in, in giving him almost free reign to dictate what players he wants, going out and getting them, and then not knowing if he's ever going to be around to really coach them. And, and that's part of the problem I have with Bayern Munich at the moment is that they just don't seem to have a plan. The plan at the moment seems to be let Tuchel say who he wants, go out, try and get them. But when you hear the stories about a disconnect between Tuchel and his bosses and Tuchel and some of the players on the roster, it makes you think, that there isn't anyone really captaining this ship at the moment. It's still Uli Honus in the back pointing and telling people where to go. And then a couple of people silently disagreeing with him and trying to do their own thing. I'm worried about it. I don't know that this team is under a strategic direction. And when you integrate Max Eberl into the mix with his own squad of people that he's bringing, it's hard to figure out what this is all going to look like a year from now. It could be completely different. It could be a new coach. It could be a half a roster of new players. We really don't know. But what I do know at this point is that it's losing that one club feel. It's not, in my mind, embracing the history and the tradition of what Bayern Munich is. And I think that would be a sad thing if they start to lose some of that because, quite frankly, they just don't have anybody really taking the reins and pulling it all together with Tuchel. There's been rumors, right? We know that, that there's some unhappiness with them. And like I said earlier, the, the club is reluctant to make a change now. And I don't think they will. And I, I don't know if it would bene- benefit anyone, but the name we always hear fans clamor for at this point is Hansi Flick. And it made me really think about the questions. Would Hansi Flick work in this scenario? What we know about Flick is that since he left Bayern Munich, he has been a flaming train wreck. And unfortunately for him, you know, he took that German national team job at a time where they needed to be fixed. And initially, I think he made good progress with it. I think he was building something. But heading into the World Cup, we started to see the team slip. And unfortunately, when they started to see see the results dip, and they started to not look as in sync, and players started to miss because of injuries, and new players had to come in, he lost complete control of it to the point where, and I've harped on this for weeks, but everything about that Amazon documentary about the German national team, it told me everything I needed to know because it wasn't just that the players were disagreeing with Flick and his tactics, and, and, and I would have loved to have seen footage of the stuff they couldn't show, um, but there was this lack of respect for Flick, the showing up late to meetings, the openly questioning his tactics in in team sessions. By Joshua Kimmich, of all people, who a player who 
was a flick guy by all accounts. I mean, once you have someone like that questioning your coaching, you're pretty much done because one, Kimmich has the respect of every player in that locker room. And two, they all know the relationship between Kimmich and Flick. So if Kimmich's doing it, every player that might have an inkling of a doubt about what's going on, they're automatically going to start to lose a little bit of respect for Flick. They're going to stop listening as much because they're not going to believe in what he's doing either. So Flick right now is damaged. And I was a huge proponent of Byron hiring him full-time. I was a huge proponent of the German national team bringing him in. His aggressive style, his ability to build relationships, these are all things that I think Bayern Munich could benefit from at this point. And yes, the high line would probably have us pulling out our hair at times, but it worked once. It conceivably could work again. Even with all that said, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think Flick would even want to come back at this point. I think Flick, knowing how proud he is as a person, is only going to remember what happened last time. And when he needed backing from the club and he wanted someone to support him, he didn't get it. He had Karl Heinz Rummenigge, who was at that point like out. He was just a figurehead at that point. And and Flick was left on his own to battle with Brazo, who had the full backing of Ole Honus. And, and quite frankly, Herbert Heiner didn't have enough weight to really be a player in that scenario, to pick a side, to, to make things happen. You had the whole weird transition of, of Karl Heinz Rummenigge to Oliver Kahn, who again was still trying to get his feet wet with everything and learn the position while, while Rummenigge was still operating as the day-to-day -day boss, it was a terrible situation. And, and I don't think at this point Flick is ready to come back. I think that he could look at this situation at Bayern Munich, look at the roster and say, I would probably love to have a high-paying job like Bayern Munich, but I think it looks like too big of a risk for me to jump into right now. And I think that that's where this would all lead. I don't think I don't think Flick would come back unless he was begged and he was given a massive sum because it's just really not a situation that that would really benefit him. Think about it. It's all risk for him. I mean, Bayern Munich is a super talented team, but they're underperforming. They've got a volatile coach who is really, if depending on who you ask, doesn't have good relationships with executives or some players. You've got Max Ebrell coming in with his own ideas. I don't know that this is something that any coach that that is strong-willed and has a track record of success like Flick does at Bayern Munich would entertain the situation. So I, I don't know. Maybe after the season it would be more realistic, but if you're looking for someone to come in and take over for Tuchel if this thing really starts to slide, I don't know that Hick is, Flick is going to be your savior. Uh, so I would personally like him to come back. I still believe he can be a good coach. But I think there's a lot of damage with his reputation. I think there's a lot of doubt about how impactful he can be as a coach. And I'm worried that it's going to have a long-standing effect on how he can impact teams and how he can change them, which essentially is what he did at Bayern Munich the first time around and what he did with Germany initially. Maybe it's a flick effect that it wears off over time. Or maybe it's just a case where that German team was really uncoachable and, and couldn't be helped. But either way, I'm not sure Flick is coming back ever, let alone at any point during the second half of this season. Uh, the final thing I wanted to hit on with, with 
Tuchel and this whole situation with him, I mean, he obviously has difficult choices to make because of the talent level of some of the players on his roster. But to me, what he's doing with Leon Gretzka right now is it's insane. Uh, Gretzka started out in the doghouse with Tuchel at the end of last season, continued throughout the summer. We kept hearing different things come out about Tuchel's thoughts on Gretzka, how he valued him as a player or lack of value, really. Then we saw Goretzka start out the season on the bench, and eventually when Conrad Leimer showed that he couldn't play at the level that Bayern Munich needed him to in the central midfield, that there was no chemistry with Joshua Kimmich, Tuchel had to dust Goretzka off and use him, and, and Goretzka had a really good hit Ronda and was one of the surprise players, I think, because that kind of treatment would probably keep a lot of people down. It would make a lot of players feel uncomfortable with the coach, not want to perform for the coach, but Gretzka persevered and battled through all that. And I know a lot of people out there hate Gretzka. I, I, I don't get it, but I, I know you do. And I know you don't value him as a player. But if you think any central midfielder has been better for Bayern Munich over the course of the season, you'd be wrong. I mean, he's been better than Kimmich. Guerrero hasn't played there enough. Pavlovich hasn't played there enough. Limer was not as good as Gretzka. Whether you like it or not, Gretzka has brought something to the table and he has performed for the most part. I don't get why Tuchel doesn't like Gretzka. I don't know if it's a personality thing. I don't know if he doesn't like his style of play. But either way, it's this is one of those situations, and I feel the same way about Thomas Muller, that, that, that Tuchel has to get over whatever his feelings are on these players and acknowledge that whether he likes it or not, and what is best for the team is to get players like Goretzka and Muller more playing time because when they are in, simply put, the team's better. And whether he wants to acknowledge it or admit it or whatever, I think Tuchel's got to start to be a little bit flexible, especially as the seat underneath him starts to get a little bit hotter. And with each lethargic or hapless performance that we see or where they don't look like a team living up to its potential, he's going to come under the gun because fans, pundits, everyone around the team is going to start seeing that there are better options. And it doesn't make sense as to why he's not using them. So does he hate Goretzka? I don't know. He he's said that he has no problem with Goretzka. He said it after the Union Berlin game, but it doesn't show that way. And, and I think any observer who's been watching this team closely can see that there's a problem there. And, and if, if Tuchel personally has issues with players or whatever, he's going to have to get past them because we're not seeing the level of play out of other players that would dictate keeping a player like Goretzka or Muller or whoever on the bench for an extended period. We've seen him do it in Matthijs Delict as well. You know, we'll see how he treats Serge Gnabry when Gnabry comes back. But these are all things that I think, you know, Tuchel's determining his own future by how he manages this. You know, if he wants to continue to roll out Kingsley Coman to misfire on nine crosses a game, then so be it. Then he'll have to live with it. If he wants to continue to take a, a visibly tired Leroy Sané who looks mentally and physically worn, you want to continue to roll him out there and not give him a break? Great. But you might end up the same way you did with Daya Upamakano, who, along with Kim Min Jae, Tuchel rode into the ground in the Hinrunda. And when you had Matthijs Delict on the few instances where he was healthy, you needed to use him because Upamakano and Kim Min Jae are, are big guys, right? They're bigger players. They're going to, to have more risk with injury when it comes to wear and tear and overuse. 
And I think that that's what we're seeing a little bit right here with Upamakano and what we saw with Kim Min Jae there at the end of the first half of the season. They were banged up. They, they've got a lot of mileage on them. And he's, for whatever reason, Tuchel is not as cognizant of that and continues to just roll out his agenda. And agenda is a funny word to use because, you know, people always talk about the Thomas Muller agenda that some of the BFW, the BFW crew has. But I think Tuchel's got a clear agenda on how he wants to use these players, who he wants to use, and when he wants to use them. And unfortunately for Bayern Munich, if he continues to go down this road, he's depriving the team of its best possible lineup at times. Now, it's not always going to be Goretzka. It's not always going to be Muller. It might not always be Delict. But having players like that with that type of talent level should dictate they're at least in the rotation schedule, which at times it doesn't look like Tuchel has any intention of ever using. He just wants to ride his 11 and, and hopefully get the best out of them. So we're going to take a quick break, but that's that's where I think this team is. That's what I'm worried about. And those are some of the things that concern me as we head into this second half of the season and get into the, the thralls of the uh, Champions League and the rest of the Bundesliga schedule. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We've got some things to talk about, particularly the future of Yeshua Kimmich and Alfonso Davies, and uh, maybe even some thoughts on Leroy Sané as well. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Weekend Warm-Up Podcast. This is Chuck Smith. Thanks for hanging in with me. Uh, first segment, we touched a lot about the state of the team, where things are going under Thomas Tuchel, the influx of the new management hierarchy, and if, quite frankly, Tuchel hates some of the players on the roster. So uh, uh, I wanted to hit on all of that. But a couple of quick things with transfer rumors that have been around. Uh, Yashua Kimmich has been a player that, you know, depending on the day, he you hear you may read stories that say it's, it's a matter of the heart with him, as, as we saw this week, that he is so connected to the club that he's not considering a move. However, you might see the next day stories linking him to Liverpool, Manchester City, Barcelona, and Real Madrid. If you want to know what I think about Kimmich right now, I think this is situations up in the air. I do think and I do believe that Kimmich has a connection to Bayern Munich, and I think he wants to be at Bayern Munich, and I think that under the right circumstances, he would probably play out the rest of his career at Bayern Munich. However, he's got interesting options. The allure of La Liga to play in Real Madrid and FC Barcelona, historically great clubs, the kind of clubs where you can go and cement yourself as a legend of the game, that's appealing. What's also appealing is the kind of money that he could get from a place like Manchester City or PSG. Then you also have Jurgen Klopp, the German coach of Liverpool who would love to have Kimmich there as well. So I I look at Kimmich's situation and I see that he has options. He knows that he has options. And he absolutely, 100%, I think will consider everything at the end of the season. Bayern Munich is in a make or break time with Kimmich. They're going to need to re-up him or they're going to need to sell him. And if they can't figure out a way to convince him to, to ink a new deal, I think the sell, 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 kind of mantra will happen because they do not want to risk losing him for free. And it would be very unfortunate for him to leave the club anyway. I do think, as I've said many times, he is the bridge in that locker room between the older veterans and the younger players. He is a well-respected person. He's versatile. And I think, quite frankly, he can still be the kind of player to man the six for Bayern Munich and have the club be very successful. Again, controversial take these days, I know, but I still think he's that guy. 
And uh, looking at the rumors, I can see the appeal of Liverpool and I can see the appeal of him going back and playing under Pep Guardiola. If he wants to make a lot of money, he's going to have an opportunity to make more than he could make at Bayern Munich. If he wants to 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 chase being a legend, he can go to Real Madrid and he can, or he can go to FC Barcelona, probably more Madrid than anything because Barca is a bit of a mess themselves. But he can go and he can become that upper echelon type of world player that you would see that you just you can't quite get that same exposure in Germany. So it will be up to Tuchel. I think that the club is going to go all out to keep him. But I do think that Kimmich is going to have his options and he's going to consider them. And and, and speaking of options, Alfonso Davies has quite a, a few of those as well. And the question remains, what should Bayern Munich do with him? We saw him get benched against Union Berlin in a move that was shocking to some, but not shocking to others. I'm not going to pat myself on the back because I really actually like Davies. I want to see him re-up with Bayern Munich, grow as a player and become the most dominant left back in the world. But for the last two years, I've been sitting here saying to myself, something does not look right with Davies. That something is just not progressing, that he's plateaued, and that he's not as impressive as he once was. And I think that that's starting to shine through to the club. And one of the stories we saw this week was that the club warned Davies at the end of 2023 that they were not happy with his performances. Now, I have been shredded for saying that that Davies has has not been himself, that he has not looked as good as he once was. I get it. And and it's a lot of people don't like to hear it, especially because you just think that maybe you think I'm just being a hater. I'm not. I genuinely, I like his personality. I like him as a player. I love his potential. I want to keep him at Bayern Munich, but he's not growing. He's not getting better. And we talk often talk about, is that a problem with him or is it a problem with the club and the lack of development with him? I think it's a combination of both. And looking from the outside, I'm not sure that he wants to make that investment or that he cares that much to get better at some of those parts of his game that need improvement. But I don't think the club has especially been great in working with him either. I don't think we've seen any drastic improvements in certain parts of his game because I I don't think the coaches necessarily work to improve him. I think they just keep giving him new things to do. They keep taking away some of the best things that he does. I mean, I get that they want to see him involved in the attack, and I get that they like that he can get up into the play and create chaos, but quite frankly, he's a better defender than he is attacker. And a lot of the times when he ends up in the attack, there's a turnover, a lost possession, and it quickly turns into a counterattack that he's not there to help prevent because he's out of position or he's in too deep, or quite frankly, he just doesn't want to track back, which we've seen a few times. And the young Alfonso Davies, the one that was a fresh-faced kid looking to prove himself, he always tracked back. The kid was a monster, and he's lost a little bit of that along the way. So what should Bayern Munich do with him? Should they keep him? Should they have a certain kind of a limit in terms of salary, which appears to be the big disconnect between Davies and the club as to, to how far they'll go with it? Or should they just look to sell and tap out at this point because maybe he's reached his ceiling as a player? I'm still in the camp that wants Davies to re-up. I think he deserves an extension, but I do understand why Bayern Munich has reservations about extending themselves with a salary that might not fit where he's at as a player. And we've seen figures thrown around that Davies wants as much as 12 million to 14 million which I get, and at 23, like he wants to he wants to start making serious, serious money. 
I also think that Bayern Munich would be wise to try and keep him at 10 to 11 million. One, because it helps their own salary budget structure. But two, I don't think he's been that kind of player as a left back that should make 12 to 14 million because I haven't seen the growth. And, and of course, when you have any contract discussions, you want to look at where a player is now, where he can be. Well, we know that the ceiling for Davies is pretty much limitless. Where he's at as a player is the same exact spot he was at two and a half years ago. Uh, we started to see a sharp decline after Hansi Flick left. Now we're, we're actually even in the second part of that season, but I'll give him the entire second year with Hansi Flick. When Nagelsmann came in, I think it worked to the detriment of Davies because, again, like he saw this toy in Davies that he could do so many things with and that when you have the type of speed – and agility that Davies does, you could you could make him so much. There's so many ways to mold a player like that, but Nagelsmann failed with Davies. Davies got worse under Nagelsmann. Tuchel hasn't unlocked Davies at this point either because just like Nagelsmann, he does have this weird view of Davies where he wants him up in the attack. And in, in, in my mind, I think you need to lessen that burden on Davies make him focus a little bit more on defense and regain who he is as a player, figure himself out, get him comfortable. And then maybe we can see some growth. But right now I would say this, I would re up Davies. I wouldn't blow out my salary structure for that position on him. I would want some assurances from his camp about where he's at in terms of dedication to the game. But I think more than anything, people want him at Bayern Munich. I think the club wants him there. The fans absolutely want him there. But he's going to have to start to make some changes himself. And, and that's going to be important because if this is what he is as a player and this is as far as he, as he wants to take his talent, then you know I think Bayern will have to have some honest conversations internally and say, like, yeah, he's a dynamic player, dynamic talent. We want him, but how far will we extend ourselves to take a player who might not want to grow from this point? So I'm hoping it all works out for Davies, that things start to re-click for him and that he's able to really evolve as a player and that he can make those changes and he can continue to push forward and become that top left back in the world. But I get it from Bayern Munich as well. So hopefully Davies is able to work that out and this all becomes a moot point and we all get back to just appreciating the Canadian Roadrunner. The final footballing point I wanted to make before I uh, really dive into some of the entertainment stuff is, and it's more like two points. One, is there any reason to start being concerned about Leroy Sané at this point? And two, should we expect any surprises at the end of the transfer window here? As far as Sané goes, yeah, I think there's some reason to be concerned. He, he absolutely looks, in my mind, he looks tired mentally and physically, as I talked about earlier. I think that the Tuchel wears him out. I think he pushes him too hard. I think that he needs a little bit of a reboot and a refresh, which might sound weird after the team just came out of the winter pause. But Sané has taken on not just more minutes and 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 more responsibility, but he's become really the second star on this team after Harry Kane. And I don't know if if that kind of stature or that kind of elevated level it is a lot for him to take on. Maybe mentally it's starting to affect him, but he's become arguably, I mean, some people would say he's the best player on the team, uh, but either way, he's always talked about as one of the top two with Harry Kane. And at this point, I do think that Sané, as good as he's been, and as much as, as I like watching him play, I think he needs to take a step back. I think Tuchel should sit him down for a game. 
not because of his attitude, although, you know, you could see where things are heading with that. He's starting to, again, show some of those signs that we see, we've we've seen in the past with his body language and, and some of that. I don't want to dive into it because, you know, listen, everybody gets frustrated. Everybody shows it in different ways. He, he's got a history, whether it's deserved or not. I don't think that should be the main focus, but it does look like he's become frustrated. And when you get to that point and maybe things aren't working out as much as you would like on the field, you know, sometimes you do need that mental refresh and I think it would benefit him. But am I concerned a little bit? Am I concerned enough to to think that Byron should sell him this summer? No. Uh, you know, Sané is another player out there who's been linked to other big clubs, uh, Liverpool, Tottenham among them. Uh, we've always seen those those same rumors with Real Madrid and FC Barcelona as well, along with Man City again. So with Sané, I think Tuchel needs to be a little bit more conservative with him, be a little bit smarter with him. You, you can't wear this guy out. You want to keep him fresh. And again, when you have the type of weapons that you have in the attack, there's no reason to wear anyone down. So, so get Sané some rest. Let him get back to where he was in the Hinronda, and then we'll see the best of him when you really need it, which is at the end of the season. As far as the transfer window goes, I don't know that we're going to see any surprises. I do think Bayern now is at a point with Upamecano's injury and Limer's injury that they have to add someone, and they might have to add two players because I don't think they're going to find anyone to fit that profile. They're either going to have to overpay for someone like Nordi Mukiele, who could fill in at center back, but is mostly a right back, but gives you that flexibility, or they're going to have to go out and get two veteran types, similar to Eric Dyer, that can give you the experience that can fill in and not hurt you, but aren't going to do anything uh, especially great. And if you need to go out and get a center back like that, and you need to go out and get a right back like that, they're out there. It's a matter of how much does Byron want to pay and what kind of profile are they looking for? I know they would love to kill two birds with one stone and get that Benjamin Pavar type, but that ain't happening, at least in my estimation. Any player like that is going to probably cost them a number that they're not comfortable with. And maybe Byron will extend themselves and do it anyway because they're they're quite frankly desperate and they're they're running out of time. But uh, I do expect a couple of moves. I would expect another center back and a right back. Right back being the primary position they're looking for. With Limer out, Mizrawi still hurt and not playing for Morocco, which is key. I mean, this team is without a right back at the moment. Uh, Yashua Kimmich has that, you know, shoulder ailment, which at this point we don't know the end result of. There's a gap there and they're either going to reach into the youth system and pull someone from the youth ranks. They're going to play someone out of position or, or they're going to have to drastically change the formation, which if you listen to the preview show, I gave you an option as to what that might look like this weekend against FC Augsburg. Oh man, a lot going on with Bayern Munich, isn't there? We're going to take one more break and I'm going to come back with a very short segment on the entertainment rundown where I talk about True Detective, those first two episodes, and I finished the Marvel Odyssey to the point of Avengers Endgame, which was my goal. So I'll touch on those two things very quickly when we come back. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the weekend warm up. This last segment will be short because I know not everyone cares about what I'm watching. So uh, I, I will make it short for you. So I want to start with the Marvel Odyssey that I've been on. I, I finished it up. I got to Avengers Endgame. And I have to say, you know, ultimately in the end, you talk about, and I talked a little bit about this with Fargo. Was it worth my time? It absolutely was. And it was a lot. And it was a grind. And I stayed up way too late. 
uh, on many nights because I got hooked watching them. The final two flicks that I had to knock out over the course of the last week were Avengers, Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. I will say this, Infinity War was much better uh, than Endgame was. And they were both great flicks and both extremely good parts of the franchise. Uh, this is what I thought. So Infinity War was just terrific. Josh Brolin as Thanos was unbelievable. And I know it's CGI, right? He's not physically acting it out, but he was the perfect voice. He had the perfect tone for Thanos. And just to watch how he had the snap play out in terms of his actions during it, uh, how he spoke, how he really drove that character, I thought was phenomenal. So Josh Brolin uh, did exactly what you wanted anyone to do out of that Thanos character. And I was actually shocked to learn that he wasn't originally cast in that role. It was another actor. And I'm glad they made the change because I don't think anyone else could have done that like that, uh, like Josh Brolin did. One thing I didn't like about Infinity War, and I, I loved the whole snap and how that played out and half the population disappearing. I especially loved Nick Fury before he himself disintegrated, was able to signal Captain Marvel, which, you know, if you know Marvel lore, Captain Marvel widely regarded as the most powerful hero. Um, but that was key, obviously, and played a role in Endgame. Um, but the one thing I didn't like was seeing how Thor and the Hulk just got their asses kicked so much, uh, especially by Thanos. Like I get how powerful Thanos was supposed to be, but I did not like how Marvel used the Hulk in this scenario. I thought it really kind of uh, took away some of the great things about this savage beast warrior, you know, Hulk smash. And, and really like he didn't want to come out and fight Thanos again. It was, that was disappointing to me. I mean, again, like maybe I'm a caveman. I still like Hulk smash. Like that's, that's what I want to see when I see the Hulk. I want to see him smashing things and wrecking people. So to see him, the Hulk kind of turn into a coward and, you know, to be honest, like of all the casting, like it's not that I disliked Mark Ruffalo in the role, but it was almost too much Mark Ruffalo. I wanted to see more Hulk. I did not like the Hulk turning into uh sophisticated educated version of mark ruffalo just a big green version of ruffalo i didn't i didn't i didn't care for that as much but uh infinity war i just thought was awesome how the whole story played out how just one thing led to another led to another how the characters from different parts of the marvel universe started to sync up those really well done uh in my mind maybe the best movie of the entire series avengers endgame <clears throat> i really liked but my broken brain had a problem and that problem was getting over the five-year gap. And I understand that in the quantum verse, the different timestamps and all of that, how this all played out, but it just seemed like five years was so long and that, you know, the chance of a mouse going through Scott Lang's van, hitting the, the key component to bring him back out of the quantum verse to put all of this in motion I don't know. That part just kind of struck me as weak and maybe the weakest part of this whole odyssey that I've been on. Uh, it, it definitely, uh, that to me was one of the weaker parts of the whole thing. And I, I didn't like that. I didn't like the five-year gap. I think I could have been sold on lesser time, but it just felt like there, I mean, if something like that dramatic happened, there would be even five years later, more chaos than anyone could dream and nobody would be over it. And I know that they showed the struggles of people working through that, but 
to me, you didn't have enough time, even though it was like a three hour movie to work through the devastation that would really occur. I just felt like it should have been a, a shorter period than five years. Uh, the deaths were hard to take, uh, you know, black widow and that whole scene with Hawkeye, uh, you knew kind of what was going to happen there. And, you know, it was fitting for that character and the journey that she had been on throughout this whole odyssey to, to get to that point and become the person that finally, you know, her entire life was based on being this character that was going to get results and do the job that was needed to be done. And ultimately she had to give her life to do that. And that set off the entire timeline with, you know, multiple things happening to major characters. Tony Stark, when he eventually had the opportunity to, to do the snap and use the Infinity Stones, you know, knowing it would probably kill him, it did. Uh, those were things that they were tough to take, but were integral parts of the story. Uh, the one thing that, and I, listen, I, I, I'm going to admit something here. I didn't like this in Infinity uh, in Avengers Endgame. And, and and I should have probably read more up on it, but I did not like that Captain America, after he went back into spread the Infinity Stones around throughout the galaxy, that he came back as an old man. Um, and and I probably one didn't think about this enough because, quite frankly, there's a million things going on, and I didn't really have time to like dive deep into this exact part of the movie. But coming back, like I didn't understand what it meant did he not never become captain america did he forego all of that it was this some kind of alternate ca captain america from an alternate universe that came in i don't know i didn't get it and i didn't like it so <laughs> that's kind of where i felt i understand what marvel was thinking with it and i know like moving forward like chris evans probably was never going to do another marvel movie but uh you know, I didn't like that part at all. I'll be honest with you. So that did affect the grade for me on Endgame. But when you look at it and everything, having all of those movies tie together and lead into Endgame, I thought it did work overall for the story. So I liked Endgame, but there were definitely some parts that I did not like. Uh, seeing Captain Marvel come back and take Thanos down was really uh, one of the great things. So that was that was really cool. So I did give Infinity War a perfect five out of five. I gave Avengers Endgame a 4.25 out of five because quite frankly, I just didn't like parts of it. I didn't like how it was explained. And uh, overall, I would say that this was a good use of my time <laughs> in some ways. Uh, I mean, there's never a good use of your time when you're sitting around doing nothing, but I did enjoy going through this set of movies. I didn't enjoy the whole Marvel Odyssey, as I called it. And, uh, you know, I'll probably check out some of the movies that were released afterwards. And for sure, if a new version of The Punisher or Daredevil comes out, I will check those series out as well. I enjoyed those when they were on Netflix. So uh, there are certain things I will continue to watch. But definitely worth your time. If you were like me and you held out on it because, you, one, you just didn't like that kind of thing, or two, like you just didn't want to invest the time, it's worth it. And it was a lot of fun. And, and I did enjoy all of those movies. Honestly, I did. The last thing I want to do is touch on True Detective. I'm not going to spend a lot of time because quite frankly, I'm droning on long enough. But True Detective so far, two episodes in, really like them both. I like that this season has brought back the mysticism to True Detective that we saw in uh, the first season, which featured Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey. This is a, a little bit different of a story. Of course, it's in Alaska uh, during the period where it's night all the time, and that adds to it. 
This is definitely something with a lot of intrigue. It's a murder mystery type thing. A lot of interesting characters, a lot of good acting. Highly recommend it. Now, we're only two episodes in. It could dramatically flame out or it could continue to get better and better. The one thing I'm trying in my own brain not to do is compare this to season one because nothing in my mind is really ever going to top that in, uh, from the True Detective series or really like many other series. Honestly, it was one of the best single seasons of TV I've ever seen. And I would always encourage anyone who hasn't seen it to go check that out because the storyline was great. The acting was great. How it all came out and pulled together. Awesome. So I'm trying in my mind not to compare this season to that. And and I'm doing good so far. Uh, this is a, a good, good season through through two episodes, but we'll see how it progresses. Uh, would love to hear your takes on not just True Detective, but also that Marvel Odyssey. Let me know how you felt. Uh, and and seriously, True Detective is something I'd like to keep the discussion going on because it, it's clearly moving in a lot of intriguing ways and it, there could be a lot of different outcomes. So I'm absolutely, uh, I'm in, I'm fully in on watching it and I'm excited for the new episode, which will drop on Sunday on HBO. That'll wrap this week episode of the weekend warm up. Sorry for going on so long. And, uh, you know, hopefully you enjoy it. <laughs> I know I hit on a lot of different topics, but Hey, there's a lot to talk about at this point. As always, you can get me at the barrel blog on Twitter. You can get the site at Bavarian FB works. You can get, our tweetmeister, Tom Adams, at TommyAdams71. You can get I Need No Name at BFWIN. And then you can get Siler at CYL3R. You can get all of our great podcasters and writers at BavarianFootballWorks.com. Enjoy the match this weekend against FC Augsburg. It should be a good one. Uh, have a couple of beers on me, and we will see you next time.